Welcome to the Agile Contact Centre podcast. My name is Sean, and together with my co-host Arnie, and sometimes with the help of special guests, we discuss stories, tips, and practices that will help you deliver outstanding experiences to customers as well as your people. We do this because we are on a mission to reinvent the contact centre world for the better. Today, we bring you episode four of the podcast, and it is a very special episode. It features the story, which is an incredible story, of a guy called Tim Buzzer and an app called Switch. Tim and the team at IAG have done what some might say is impossible. They have created a way for people to self-manage their rosters at a scale you need to hear to believe. There's no leadership intervention, there's no workforce planning approval or review, just a trust-based system which allows people to take back control of their time. Check out our blog page on the website for all the show notes. It has links to all the references, books and podcasts Tim mentions, of which there are many. And we also have a link to Indy's GoFundMe page. This won't make a lot of sense right now, but after you listen, it will. And we thank you in advance for anything you're able to contribute to this very worthy cause. Please enjoy the show. All right. All right. Let's get into it. Cool. Welcome, Tim. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, it's good. It's good to have you. We're uh, you. You're this. This podcast is actually a little bit different to the three that we've done so far. So we've had a couple of clients on previous clients on the first two, and then the last one that we did, which actually just went out today, was on failure demand, which was just Arnie and I. But I came across you on LinkedIn just by chance, and we weren't even connected. So someone in my network must have liked something that you had you had put out, and um, it got me very interested. Um, and it was about um, the, the app that you've just released at IAG to help the staff there self-manage their rosters and schedules. And part of the work that we do is around something called the system of work, which is looking at the what are the forces that, that are at play on a contact centre uh, at a systemic level that impact their ability to achieve their, their purpose. And so one of those elements is things like rostering and scheduling. And so I kind of I was very, very interested in this one because it's that, that part of the system of work, actually, when we talk to contact centre leaders, is always the one that gets the most interest as well. You know, how do you get give people the ability to self-organise their, their rosters? So. so maybe a good start starting point is, like, why don't you explain, because we, I, I read up a little bit from the, what you sure. posted, but why don't you explain a little bit about what you built? Um, yeah. And, yeah, that happy might help to, the audience understand. Happy to yeah. give a bit of background on that. Mm. So... Um, you're right that it's probably one of the, the most difficult parts of the contact center operation to innovate. And that's, I think, because the stakes are so high. So if a, let's take an average sort of contact center with 200 people working in it and you overstaff by 1%, that's two more people than you need. Um, and that's going to be 100 to $150,000 of additional cost to the business. So with 1% adding an extra $150,000 to the, the operational cost of the business, um, and then if you're understaffed by a couple of percent at the wrong time of the day, at the wrong time of the week, then the customer experience is severely impacted. So the stakes are massive with workforce planning. Getting the right number of staff on at the right time of day has um, resulted in you know, an industry being built in call centres. Um, so what I like to think of is the current status quo for workforce planning in contact centres is based around uh, having a centralised approval process to ensure that we don't go over or under staff and at the same time try and somehow balance the needs of the workforce. Uh, so the, the way of thinking that is it's basically a permission-based system. So if somebody wants to make a change to their roster, they need to get approval from that centralised 
um, team or centralized process. That's not a very good experience for people um, and it can mean that it's, you know, I think I've read some of your website and saw that you talk about a humanistic call center. It's not a humanistic process when you're having to get approval to make a change to your roster because life happens. And that is even more challenging or more inhuman when in order to get that approval, you need to explain why. You need to justify as an employee that tomorrow my child has got an appointment with a specialist. Um, that appointment we thought was going to be in a month's time, but um, we, have, we managed to get a slot tomorrow. So I need to finish early to take my child to that specialist appointment and probably need to explain what's happening with that child, what's happening with the child's illness and why it means so much to you as a parent that you can get that, uh, get your child to that appointment. And so having to reveal all of that about yourself in order to get maybe a two-hour early finish on a roster, it's it's just it's just not not, not okay. Mm. Um, and then the manager's in a terrible position of having to balance one request versus another request, uh, and then go to the workforce planning or the or the the senior manager to kind of get approval to override what workforce planning might have said. And and I've been around call centres now for you know, more than a decade, and I've and I've been in that situation as a manager where I've had to. You know, juggle the the human needs of employees against the needs of the business and its customers, and and you're just caught in the middle. So it, it, there's a massive there was a massive opportunity to innovate in that space. Mm. And so, yeah. to, and so just so that's the, the problem, I suppose. I that's not the solution. No, that's yeah, the yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. 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 You whetted our appetites. <laughs> yeah. And, and anyone listening now, are like, yeah. so what did you do to solve this massive yeah. problem? Yeah, it's it's a lot of. Um, can, there was a convergence of uh, lots of experiences and interests that led to a solution. Um, but first of all, is wanting to solve the problem. I think that's the first thing. And then just just being open to um, other possible solutions, so other ways. And and um, I have a, I had a side interest at the time, which um, when I was really contemplating this, which was um, blockchain. And so really interested in blockchain and how that might um, solve problems um, in the financial system, in the way in which we organize our, ourselves as a species on the planet, supply chain issues. There's any number of ways in which you know blockchain is, is being explored as a potential solution. Um, and so that, and what was sitting behind that interest was um, a, an exploration of um, complex systems and systems theory. So um, in particular, um, you know, Kinevin framework and understanding you know different sort of different com- levels of complexity in, in in systems and how different solutions can um, best fit different complexity levels. Mm. What what is the Kinevin framework? And talk to us about that. Um, yeah, the Kinevin framework is um, is by a, an Australian uh, gentleman named David Snowden, um, and he identified that there. Um, he looked at the systems and identified that sort of four different systems. That there's a simple, complex, sorry, simple, complicated, complex, and chaotic. And each different um, system has different solutions that fit. Um, and so, a simple a simple system requires an algorithmic approach to solving it. And so you can pretty much come up with a, a formula that will fix it. Um, a, a complex system, you take a more of a heuristic approach to it. So the way we think about solving and understanding that problem space is we use heuristics. Uh, then we get into the complicated 
um, uh, domain, an incomplicated domain, which is probably really where the workforce planning domain is, especially when you bring in the human needs into that into that equation, not just the business need around staffing levels, but also the needs of the staff and their in their personal lives. That gets into that complicated space. The way in which that is solved, uh, that that domain is solved, is generally we start to bring in a bit more intuition, um, a lot more experimentation, a lot more willingness to fail, because there isn't really a clear answer. And there's no real way of fully understanding the complicated domain because there's just so much going on. So a level of experimentation is needed, a level of willingness to follow your gut and just give certain things a try and be prepared for those things to fail and to, and to learn and so forth. It's really the only way to, to really find your way through that complicated domain. And finally, there's a the chaotic domain. And the chaotic domain pretty much is when just everything goes to, goes to crap. Um, and at that point, really the, you know, the, the analogy that's often used to describe a chaotic domain is when 9-11 happened in, in, um, in the US and, and the sorts of leadership and solutions for a chaotic domain is actually, um, it's quite sort of anti-intuitive for me, but it is that strong man leader, somebody who's going to stand up and just take charge and just sort of steer um, and try and steer the ship. And that's what we saw with Rudy Giuliani through that period. Now we're seeing today that his leadership style is completely failing in a complicated world. But in a chaotic world, it was it was successful leadership style. Um, so that was so they're the four domains, and and um, and the, and the blockchain itself really sits as a solution in that complicated space. Mm. Yeah. So I'm really curious. So so that systems yeah. thinking mindset that's like not something everyone is interested in, or you know maybe in some cases even is aware of the of that level of depth. So I'm curious. Yeah. What, what led you to, maybe just, can you just backtrack a little bit, take us through what led you to get to this point in terms of those interests that you have in your career, maybe, you know, it sounds like it's outside of your, you know, yeah. your personal life as well, but I'm curious about what led you to the point where you're someone that's actually interested in creating something like this for people at work. Yeah, so my first, my first job was a um, social worker. So I was studying biological science and, and started um, handing out meals at the soup kitchen in, in Grey Street in St Kilda and it was a it was a fantastic experience and I got it offered the opportunity to run that um, meals program as a paid job and so of course I took it and my studies then shifted to other other things and um, away from biological science into in sort of more the human sciences but I did that for six years as a social worker I went on to work in uh, sorry, in drug and alcohol, in crisis intervention, emergency housing, sort of worked across sort of a spectrum of different different parts of um, of social services, and that really, I think that was the fruit reflective of I think I've always had a a desire to have a life of impact, uh, to live a life of impact, um, and an impact on people, um, to make um, just make people's lives just a little bit better. And uh, and I did that. So I did that for about six years, and it was a fantastic experience. I was 19, and I was you know handing out needles to people, and you know um, women would arrive on the doorstep at the crisis crisis centre, escaping domestic violence with kids in the back of the car and all their life's possessions, you know, saying please help me. And I was 19, you know, sitting on a desk with this stuff just you know coming at me, um, and but and it was fantastic. Like I just grew so much as a person. I couldn't have asked for a better. Um, a better experience at that stage of my life but after six years I got to a point where I felt that um, I was no longer resonant with um, the the role and that 
where I grew to as a person, what I had to offer had shifted um, and it wasn't necessarily anymore what the customers or clients um, needed. I think I just I just shifted as a, as, a, as a person. I'd grown to a new place in my life, a new relationship, and, and I just, just was mo- had moved to a different point. And I then stepped into, um, I took a career, I took a, a sort of a career leap and started studying natural medicine. So I thought, hey, that, maybe that's the other way I can help people um, if I'm not going to be a social worker. And to pay for my course and life, I took a job in a call centre. And, you know, the story is a common story. I took a job in a call centre and within 12 months I was offered a job as a team leader. Um, And to my surprise, I discovered that as a leader um, of of teams, you're in an incredibly um, privileged position to have a positive impact or have an impact on people's lives in a way that's actually, I think, was even more profound than I did as a social worker. So as a social worker, it was very much about um, what was crisis intervention. So there was a moment in people's life where they'd hit, hit a, a critical cri- juncture and you could be there to help them through that moment. Whereas as a leader, you're with people every day for sometimes years at a time. So you're, th- you're going through, you know, I've, I've had people working for me where they've you know, gone from being single to having to getting married to having children, you know, so and then that those years that you're working with people, you know, you're on that life journey with them. So it's an incredibly privileged position and and um, so I really fell in love with that that experience of of leadership, of working in those in a call center environment and, and the opportunity that it that it gave to still fulfill that core purpose around being of um, of service to others. And, and so I did that for um, a, a decade or more, I don't know how many years. Uh, and, but there was always, the more, as over the years, I started to identify that there was perhaps some underlying issues within that contact center environment, within the design of those workplaces, within those systems of work that, that were inherent in contact centers that were perhaps not necessarily serving the benefit of to the benefit of the employee and as a manager or as a leader you kind of try to offset that and you're trying to create a great culture trying to provide um, you know fantastic support and you see this incredible call center kind of spirit like you go into a call center and there's you know desks are decorated it's this amazing energy um, people have got each other's back in a you know this is a healthy call center they're running pizza days and food days people are cooking stuff and bringing it into work you know there's there's a lot of fantastic um, uh, humanity that's expressed in those hothouse environments. But a lot of that's in almost response to the fact that there's these underlying systems and design of the workplace, which actually by nature actually potentially quite harmful. And so in response to that, um, you cre- end up creating this incredible kind of cultural response, which is to try and offset it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've seen over the years in call centers is that's not sustainable. You see it for a small amount of time. You might, I mean, I've been, I've managed call centers where you just go, wow, it's just, it's humming. It's brilliant. Everything's going so well, but it's so finely balanced because there's these underlying, there's these sort of hidden forces that are working against you all the time, like the workforce planning process we described before. Um, so um, that's, that started to really become, I became, as over the years, became more and more conscious of that and thought, you know, really the opportunity here is, 
Um, it's been great being a leader and I got up to many hundreds of employees who were reporting through to me and that was wonderful and you know, it was, as I said, it was a privileged position to have, a, have an effect on the lives of those people. Um, but I got to a point where I realized the real opportunity if I'm going to make a real difference here is to actually start working on the system of work that sits behind or within the contact center or design of contact centers. If I could affect a change there, even by a little bit, it couldn't, wouldn't potentially impact a few hundred employees. It could potentially impact thousands and there's a couple of hundred thousand people working in call centers Australia alone. So you know, imagine if we just shift that dial there just a little bit, the impact that that could have. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's a great walkthrough, I, and I think I, I mean, I've spoken about this before. We, the system of work is the most impactful part of that that yeah. ecosystem. I mean, what part of the work we do covers things like ways of working, and we look at the customer experience through failure demand. But the system of work is really, where I think, where you can make the most impact. But it is the place where it's most it's hardest to make that impact as well. So, okay, so do, let's then go back to where we kind of just we stopped. What have you then done at um, where you are now to address that with the, with the app? To talk to us about that that journey. Yeah. So the um so the app which we developed we've called Switch at IAG and um and what what so the the problem is that um, the call center working environments are um, inflexible um, by design and um, without the sort of human intervention layer of leadership they're inflexible by design and we. Um, sat down and spoke to our people and identified that there definitely was a need to increase the level of flexibility around when I work. So IAG, I joined IAG just over three years ago to implement work from home into their contact centre environment and today we've got over 2,000 staff working from home in the call centres and three years ago we were, had a trial team of 20. You know, so we've gone through this enormous transformation around establishing work from home and which has been a great journey and our, our, our teams and our people have benefited a lot from that and so has the organisation and our customers of course. Um, but we still sort of reached this sort of point where we've gone, hang on a minute, there must be more we can do here. What's so good about work from home? Why does work from home deliver the benefits it does? And it's mainly because of time. So that we're giving people back time in their life. Um, and that's what the real benefit is. And the ability to, and that time translates to connection, to human connection, to family and friends, and and so forth, and and that delivers a, a benefit in well-being. So we, but so we look, for, we're looking for ways to 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 improve that and actually deliver even more. So what the app does is it gives people control over their rosters, so it gives them the ability to make changes to their roster uh, without manager approval, without workforce planning approval. They can just go into that app and they can make the change that they need to make because life happens, whatever the reason is. So they no longer need to justify the reason for the change. They no, not, no longer need to beg for the change. They no longer need to, need to explain what's happening in their life. And, um, and so they go into the app, they can see, uh, and they're able to make that most those changes. Now, the fundamental design principle here is that people will make good decisions with good information. And what we've created in call centers by accident is a situation where we have a highly specialized workforce planning function that has become so specialized that it speaks in acronyms. Um, it has, you know, 
it's there's GOSs and there's service levels and there's mm-hmm. um, you know there's AHTs and there's occupancy rates and occupancy yeah. levels and there's you know any number yeah, of dictionary. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's a spe- it's become a, a specialization mm. and so all of that information is held by that that function um, so the first challenge and solu- part of the solution of the app is to decode that and present it to our people in a way that everybody can understand it to support them making good decisions about their roster and making changes to their roster. And so what we've done is we've, we've effectively taken all that information, created an algorithm that interprets that and presents a, a color code for every 15 minute interval of the, of the schedule. And so they can see if they're making a change to their roster, whether it's helpful or unhelpful to the business. So the first experiment that we did to help us learn more about this is exactly, exactly what I just described. We gave, we created a, a, a one of the geniuses in my workplace, and I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning his name, Maddie Cummins. Maddie created this fantastic spreadsheet that um, representation. So we're going as low-fi as possible as part of an experiment because you know you don't want to build an app and then have it not work and spend all that money. So we created this. He created this fantastic spreadsheet, which did exactly that. It presented the business requirements in color code, and then they can move their rosters around, and then they could submit that. And we had a, a wizard. So I think those that are in software development will know what I mean by a Wizard of Oz experiment. So rather than having a API and all your code in the back end that integrates into your system, we have a human being sitting in the back who's the wizard, who's actually sitting behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz, who's actually entering all that and making the changes. So the user at the front end thinks, oh, wow, look at that. I clicked that button and and my roster was all updated, but it was actually a wizard in the background. (laughs) (laughs) But it's lo-fi. It means you can make changes and you can iterate quickly. And it's it's awesome. So we ran a Wizard of Oz experiment. Now, the... The remar- remarkable thing was that when we looked at the data at the end of that, when people were given the ability to understand that, and we said to them, so I should say, you can use this tool to make any change to your roster that you like. We're not going to stop you. We, there's no, you don't have to ask anybody for permission. Just go in there and you can make a change. Love it. You imagine like this is, you know, extraordinary. Like most calls in managers be going, no that. way. Like, what are you doing? It's mad. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the end of the day, we looked at the data and, and the teams that had, had this tool where they could make the change. And all that we said was you had to use the tool and the tool let them know was it a helpful or unhelpful change. That um, we only saw a slightly, a slightly like, you know, a little bit on the, un, like the net of the changes yeah. was only slightly unhelpful. So we were taking bets beforehand to see how far it would swing. <laughs> and you can imagine the workforce planning team were going, this is going to be a disaster. You know, they're, they're just yeah. going to go, they're going to take yes. whatever they want yeah. and do whatever they want. They're not going to consider the business needs. And it's just every change is going to destroy the roster. But when we added them all up, it was only slightly unhelpful. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, that is so, <coughs> before you, so you can trust people. That's I know. Who would have thought? It's like a yeah, revelation. So, <laughs> I, yeah, everyone. Uh, it's funny when, when you think about yourself. If you're in that situation, I, I will definitely make, uh, you know, the right decision and, and make it helpful for the customer. But when it someone else, you think, no, oh, maybe they won't. But we're all, but aren't we all the same? Yeah. yeah. It, it's really interesting because um, so what we, um, and. I'm not sure how much you know about us, but one of the things that we uh, talk to um, 
our clients about is you know that self-organization like yeah. the teams to run their own schedules and mm. their own rosters and we talk about you know we give them information and they run their own stand-ups to decide how they're going to you know schedule their breaks and everything but you've just taken it to another level yeah. for, for everything for the yeah. entire thing and give them this inc- like this this perfect information and i think that's always been yeah. the difficulty for us is how do we get all the right information to the people to make the right decisions yeah, yeah. And i feel like you've really harnessed yeah. that so had you experimented trying to do this without even the spreadsheet like were there some previous iterations of this experiment before you even got to the spreadsheet um yeah so not um no not not in the way that you're describing it what we had done was um, um a pretty classic sort of lean startup um and uh, approach to this which was precursored by some um, HCD activity with our, our team. So we yeah. did a number of interviews to understand the problem. We ran some co-design sessions to kind of explore potential solutions. Those co-design sessions then resulted in a very lo-fi prototype, which was you know just on bits of, bits of paper, basically a bush of paper, um, just putting a sort of a very much, a, just a wireframe of mm. what we sort of articulating the process that we, we had in mind as a potential solution. We then showcased that those that, that lo-fi prototype or wireframe across the call centers and managers it iterated in that format, mm. and then from there we were able to proceed to the experiment. Right. Got so you. Okay. Does that makes sense. Yes, it does. Yeah. So they were just yeah. wireframe iterations until you got to the so, yeah. spreadsheet. Okay, yeah. that's so really it. Already cool. been through quite a lot of evolution. Yeah. That was a new process for me. I was surprised and um, delighted by the the level of iteration that could that happened in that wireframe showcasing. Mm phase Um, and the side effect of that is that um, a lot of people felt a sense of um, ownership Mm. of the solution Mm. across the organization because we had managers call center team members and leaders and etc all contributing through that showcasing iteration of the wireframe so they were they they had a sense of contribution and ownership So you, you mentioned before when you described the type of system that you were you were working on it was mm. more the more complicated, which normally has that element of, of human um, oversight to make the ultimate decision. There's a bit of intuition involved there. How did you build that into the algorithm? Yeah, so um, so the next challenge once we understood that we're onto something here, that first you know the first principle was give people the information information so they can make good decisions. So we 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 had we solved that part of it. And then we un- then we sought to understand, well, you know, how good a deci- how good were the decision making, and, and what what risks did that expose the business to, and then we look for ways in which we could balance that. So we need the needle to sit in the middle. So between helpful and unhelpful, the net of the changes that we make in the roster need to sit, you know, in, ideally in the middle or even a little bit to the helpful side. Um, and the way in which we solved that wasn't really the human element. We actually codified this solution which is that um, we have this is where the blockchain inspiration comes in so um, we tokenize the value of time in the roster and that meant that as you move a shift around inside the switch app you're earning and spending flexcoin so if you move your shift in a way that's helpful then that earns you you earn flexcoin and if you move another shift in a way that's unhelpful, it costs you FlexCoin. <laughs> and that, and that, the way in which the FlexCoin is calculated, um, everybody then has a wallet, 
and yep. in you know in the wallet you've got your flex coin yeah um and you can see the history of all your transactions wow um and <laughs> and so people <laughs> and so as people are moving their shifts around you're dying to ask a question uh, so maybe i'll let you know keep yeah, going yeah. um keep going. and as um as you and as people move around they're earning and spending flex coin and that's yep. really the secret and at the end of the day what's fantastic here is that people really engage with it and i think mm. there's a core human so one of the We've all got this. Um, one of the I was doing some reading about um, human connection because uh, I do a lot of work around remote work and 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 solving that issue around connection is crucial. A meaningful human connection. One of the key requirements is reciprocity, mm-hmm. and um, it's almost an embedded right. truth. We need to feel a sense of balance and uh, in our in our lives. It's it's always sort of we're skewed towards it. And I think the one of the reasons why switch works so well is that people are able to get what they want, but they don't expect it for nothing. They're there, they, they care about the customer, they're, they're purpose-driven, they're connected to the organisation that's purpose. They, that's one of the key and one of the most important things about a, a great workplace like IAG. Um, so they want to make sure that, they, that they've got an opportunity to give back equal to what they've taken. Um, and that's what the app lets them do. Mm-hmm. So there's this real sense of reciprocity in, in, embedded in the experience and and, and the feedback's been extremely positive, I think, about that, so. Wow, yeah. well you answered my question around how do you give them the feedback about, you know, whether it's helpful or unhelpful, how do you manage it, you've just answered that. But I didn't so, realize it was, Wow. it was, I mean, in a way it's kind of gamified, kind of? Yeah, that, that, that's been, that's, that we didn't yeah, think right. of it in that terms, but the, definitely the feedback from users was we were sort of rolling it out was that they used that word, they felt like it was a gamified experience yeah. of mm-hmm. engaging yeah. with their roster. And people do go in there and they play around, right. you know, because the way it works is that you've got a you've got a four week roster um, that's provided in advance, and that's still done by the workforce yeah. planning team. Um, and it's and because that's a comp, that's really complicated. You've got to look at the the the, you know, the national employment standards, the underlying award that we have to work with, the, and so forth. And so there's a lot of constraints around that roster build, um, and it's obviously the business need and. The person's availability, their their rostered hours is a whole, and it's it's a whole workforce. It's a it's a, it's a big job. But when that roster is published four weeks out, that switch treats that as zero. So that's and what all that we care about is at the end of the and four weeks from when the roster is published to what we call an IAG event day. Um, in that four weeks from publish to event day, we don't care if there's one change or one thousand changes to that roster as long as the sum of all those changes equals a roster that's as good or better than the one that was published. And that's what the, the, the tokenization of time and the way people engage with, this, with Switch in order to, because they can't go into a negative balance. And so therefore, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it works out. So uh, if I can understand the mechanics right, so four weeks prior to, so four weeks prior, they'll get a roster that comes out and then bet- from the four weeks to the start point, the event point, yep. people can make adjustments. After it goes live... Well, that's the day of bro- that's the day of work. That's the day of work. So you yep. can make changes up to... I can make changes for tomorrow, but now today I've got a... I mean, that's too late. So, right, so you've okay. got 28 days of... You know, up to where you can make a change to your roster up to the event day. Oh, okay, yeah. right, right. So you've got four weeks worth of roster. So which means that I can make a change to, to, for my roster tomorrow yeah. that costs me FlexCoin. Yes. And then earn some FlexCoin in another day next week or the week after yeah, by okay. helping the business out. Right. And yeah. so there's sort of this net net effect. 
that's brilliant. Crazy. So the key to this this solution is, and I think there's other there's other solutions which I've got in mind for smaller workforces, but the key to this is it's solving the problem for large workforces because the, the underlying getting back to systems theory, um, the the more the, the larger the system, the more complicated it is, yeah, or complex. The more complex the system, the more flexible it is. So, mm-hmm. you know, you look at nature. It's incredible what we're throwing at, at forests and and you know at the moment to look at you know look at a, a, the you know the bush and what it's it, what it's been hit with through human intervention and human behaviour. Yet it continues to survive. It continues to adapt. It continues to find ways in yeah. order to to you know. To, it, it'll it'll change it and it'll adapt and it will it will but it will survive. Um, it's the most complex system we know is nature and probably the human body, but you know in the fact that we just don't understand it, we can't understand it because it's so complicated. So the more the larger the system, the more complex it is. The more complex it is, the more adaptive it is. Um, and that's what um, so what switch works off is the larger the call center, the more adaptive it is. Um, there's inherently in a large call center, a large human system like a call center, an enormous amount of flexibility. But because we run those systems with centralized processes based on approval, we actually, um, and, and we do that, the larger the call center, the more we actually tend to centralize the mm. systems of work. Correct, yeah. The more um, approval we require because the stakes have got bigger. Yes. So our natural response is then we better put tighter processes and controls around it. And you're so we go into a sm- yeah, we mm. go into a which in fact is actually it's counterintuitive yeah. from a system theory perspective. Yes. Go into a small call center, they tend to be much more relaxed and they're much more adaptive. And people are using social systems to resolve issues like rostering and so forth and social agreements, as opposed to and yet they're actually. A less flexible system. Yeah, yeah. So, it's <laughs> it's a strange kind of kind of reality that you know this sort of system theory unlocks. The other way I would describe it is that it's a bit hard to do, perhaps in a podcast. But imagine a square room, and you have four people standing in that room, um, and the room represents the business requirements, the customer requirements, the call forecast. And, our, and, and we have four people and the job of the workforce planner or the, the, the system is to spread those four people in that stand them, put them in the room, position them in the room so they're deli- delivering even service to that, that space. Mm-hmm. And there's only one solution for that, is that one, four people standing just in from each corner of the room and that then they are evenly, then therefore they position themselves so they're evenly, evenly um, encompassing or filling the space. I hope that makes sense mm. in, on a podcast. Yeah. Yep. So there's only one solution with four people. So there's no flexibility in that in that in that problem and how you solve it. That's that's the problem. It's like we've got this forecast, the room. We've got four people. We need to roster, and therefore we need to position them in the room to fill it evenly. And there's only one way in which that can happen. Mm. Change that to forty people. And say the same thing. Now you 40 people need to organise yourself in the room so you're all standing equidistance apart, filling the room evenly. The number of ways in which that 40 people could fill that room and solving it, that problem is actually incalculable. There's actually no... It's, it's infinite. So you've gone from 4 to 40 and suddenly you've gone from one solution to an infinite number of possible solutions. 
Um, and that's what I mean by the larger the system, the more flexibility is inherently in it. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what I think what we're unlocking with Switch is, the, is that ability. Yeah. I love the way you've been able to explain that. And you got into quite a lot of detail there around stuff like, you know, the systems thinking and blockchain, all that kind of stuff. But I think, because um, not everyone's going to be able to come up with this type of a solution who listens to this, so they're not going to be able to, you know, come up with an app or some automated way, even in a spreadsheet. But the principles behind why you've done this, I think, are the most important things for people to kind of listen and start to think about because it's that mindset can unlock mm-hmm. a different way of thinking about the people and the way that you you organise your people and your systems in a contact centre. So that's, yeah. Yeah, it really relies on those assumptions of trust. Correct. But I think you've done that. You've also been able to experiment to prove that you can as well. And that was probably my, and maybe that's the answer, but that was the first thing that came to mind was how did you get people to actually, you know, accept Mm. this change or or, um, to be okay with this whole really it's a self-organizing system that's been created yeah that's right so yeah yeah, i mean was it the experimentation or were there just you know also leaders in there who were just by nature you know brought in from the start like yeah talk us through that yeah i'm i feel incredibly grateful to iag um as an organization that i joined them to do the work from home project and Mm -hmm. that was that was successful and then pitched this idea and um, the executive manager just said, well, let's make it happen, and, and people got behind it. I think but they got behind the problem, not so much the solution, and I think that's the secret. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, one of the great sayings, which, I, you know, one of the, um, the agile coaches um, used to say to me when I was doing the project was fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Mm. And just, you know, and, and really, you know, that's the key, I think. And I think we did as an organization, we fell in love with the problem. And we did also because we, through the discovery interview processes, we, we uncovered a lot of really um, heartwarming and heartbreaking stories. Heartwarming from the sort of level that the business was going to in order to help accommodate people's um, needs. Heartbreaking because the level of you know, the, the effort that everybody needed to go through in order to accommodate those needs. Um, so we were able to use storytelling to help really bring to life that that problem uh, and that opportunity. I think that's the key because ultimately it's not, I mean, I'm just geeking out on the sort of intellectual systems theory and everything else, but really at the bottom, at the bottom of all of this is, is, is heart mm-hmm. um, and it's about sort of connecting to that sort of human need and, and, and everybody getting behind that. Yeah. So, so when you were, yeah, how did you articulate the benefit of it? Was it, was it purely that humanistic side and is that what, what the, the organisation supported or did you have to come and say, no, if we do this, there's, you, you talked a bit before about the one and two percent either way and the impacts of that. What, what, what was it that got the support and investment for this? For um, the business case, yes, you didn't, it's showing the, the financial benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the decision and the passion that re- that is required in order to get people on board um, was the human stories. Mm. So in the end, yes, you've got to apply to put in a submission to a budget and apply for funding to do a particular project. But um, there's any number of competing projects offer- offering and requiring sim- of deli- promising similar benefits or similar mm. quants. So. Um, 
But for this, in the end, it is about the human experience, improving the employee experience so that that then translates to better, um, uh, uh, you know, lower attrition, lower sick mm-hmm. leave, um, you know, better, um, uh, you know, people hang around longer. And, and, and that adds up pretty quickly in a call centre. That's huge. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah massive. That's, um, that's a massive cost, obviously, that cost of replacing staff, cost of onboarding new staff, mm-hmm. the cost of, um, of sick leave, as we know, call centres can be quite high. So anything that sort of t- you only have to make you only have to move that dial a little bit and it has a big impact as well. Mm. So that's really where the business case sat. But um, but I, I'm really confident the reason why IAG um, you know backed this and have been so committed to it has been because of a genuine culture of caring about the employee mm. and their well-being and looking for ways to to have an impact. And that's why flexible work has just been taken off in the three years now. You know, the majority, I'm going to say majority, at least 70%, probably higher, it's a bit hard to quantify now because it's just become so embedded and normal. We don't really measure it because it's just the way we do things. But at least 70% of staff at IAG, and this is across all areas, not just call centres, uh, access flexible working benefits on a regular basis. Close enough to 80% of call centre staff work from home now. Um, you know, and that's a, you know, this is a big operation. It's huge. You know, so, um, and that's, that's all come about because of a genuine human... Uh, a genuine sort of purpose-driven organisation that actually does want to have an impact on people's lives. Our customers, definitely through you know, bushfires at the moment, are topical and it's, you know, it's awful what's happening. Mm. We're out there as an organisation helping them um, and we also, that, that, that heart, that care, you know, is, is reflected internally as well. So um, I'm pretty lucky, I think, to have landed in a place where um, that's possible and they're willing to take some risks. Um, I just wanted to... Like on that topic around lower attrition and um, you know lower churn, all that sort of thing. Um, you've also seen I read in your blog that you saw um, result like increased service levels as a result as well. Like, um, yeah, you know, yeah, take us through maybe some of the results. Mm. That yeah, you've seen uh, since. and so how has it been so far? By we've way? had the app in um, now for six months. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So probably seven months now. Wow. Um, and so, um, so what we've seen is. Um, an, an improvement across the board because for all the reasons we just articulated. So, mm. um, you know, sick leave is dropped and um, and um, and as a result, and, and our, our scheduling, our schedule efficiency has mm. remained the same or even slightly improved, mm. um, which is quite remarkable that people have got flexibility. They have the ability to get what they want and, re- and adjust their roster to their life's needs at really short notice and to do it without manager approval. And at the end of the day, we've actually got a better schedule efficiency it's you know it's counter it's extraordinary like, mm. um and um and then um but the, the the measure and the thing that is most important to me is and we we started getting these stories so we we're doing the experiment and we had it had at one stage you know this this, this lo-fi spreadsheet version of the entire call center in perth so 150 people on it so we were really testing this at scale before we and getting it right before and this is with the flex calling built in it so you can imagine how fancy the spreadsheet was um but we were testing this at scale before we before we went ahead and built it and um started hearing stories back and we were doing sort of interviews with consultants and asking them about their experience and and what it meant to them and there were stories where people were in tears and they would just and within just this level of gratitude and 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 appreciation that was um extraordinary and and so we thought how do 
that's inc- this, this is remarkable and how, how do we actually ca- quantify this? So we used the Warwick Edinburgh Mental Wellbeing Score, which is a, 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 a um, an NHS accredited um, uh, survey um, of about 15 questions from memory, um, where um, it's basically it's a self-assessed mental well-being, and we saw a significant shift pre and post from a behavioural science perspective intervention, which is giving them the app. So after having had the app for a month, pre and post the result in this in in this mental well-being score was a nine-point lift, and which in the in the W EMBS score is a, is a meaningful uplift. So we're seeing a meaningful shift in people's self-assessed mental well-being as a result of having use of the ability to manage their roster, to manage their time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also it was just a we also looked at the, a trust index as well. And people and it was also an uplift in that. So people were more likely to trust strangers as a, a, a um, pre and post. <laughs> so. Which is, it just shows that if you give people trust, then they actually tend to be more trusting themselves, wow. which is interesting. Wow, incredible. But yeah, the, the, that mental wellbeing score was, was really, yeah, really important, I think, because mm. even if everything else was zero and we were seeing no other benefit other than no, and no, no negative impact uh, on the business, it was just, it was a neutral impact mm. and we got this uplift in people's mental wellbeing, then job yeah. done, yeah. you know, like, but... Fortunately, it's even been better than that. Wow. So have you seen any other benefits in... So in, in a world where it's not self-managed like this, managers and you know, countless people need to be involved in this decision-making process, have you seen any, any benefits for leaders, team leaders, in the amount of time they now have to do other things? And has that, that translated surprising. into some other business outcomes? Probably you guys do it. I don't know whether you do, but I've certainly seen plenty of um, time in motion studies done over the years in call centres, in particular to understand call centre leaders' time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we understand what our consultants are doing. They're measured um, within an inch, inch of their lives. But um, And perhaps for that reason, we've, I've seen many attempts to quantify how leaders spend their time. And I, we've done the same thing at IAG, and we had... Um, you know, quite a detailed breakdown of leaders, um, what they do and when and how, how much. So we were surprised when we uncovered that leaders, when, through, the, through the experiments, that leaders came back and said that they had, had unlocked up to 20% of their week. And we're, where, why didn't this come up at the time in motion study? And why didn't we see this? Because what you know, a lot of these conversations, this, this, this the process we started with this discussion with, you know, where the consultant comes to a leader and says, "Look, I really need to make a mm. change to my roster tomorrow. Mm. I've got this happening with my daughter, who's, mm. you know, got this specialist appointment." That conversation often happens sort of almost out of sight, um, and then the leader then wanders over to workforce planning or to the you know the real time analyst or whomever it is, different call centers, different processes, asks finds out whether or not it's possible, they'll say, look, actually, that doesn't help the business that we're really busy tomorrow afternoon. Can you see if they can possibly move that appointment to the day after because we're going to be quiet then? And so the leader goes back to the consultant and asks the consultant saying, yeah, I, you know, I know that you can get the appointment tomorrow, but could you check with the doctor and see if you can get it um, you know, on, on Friday because we're quiet on Friday. So the consultant then rings up and then comes back, look, I'm sorry, they can't, I only can get Thursday. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and then the leader then goes and has to, you know, you know, override the decision from workforce. This is all happening sort of in hallways, mm. you know, and and so every so our time in motion studies just didn't see it. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so no wonder we're always getting, well, how come the leaders don't spend 70% of their time coaching? They're supposed to be spending 70% of our time coaching. We've done the time and motion mm. study. We know they've got the time to do it, but they're not getting it done. Mm. So there was this hidden kind yeah. of human, very important part of a leader's job yeah. that we, yeah, didn't know. Didn't that's, a, that's a substantial number, 20%. Up to, I won't say it's always, but there yeah, were some... But, Depending uh, on your team. And, and there's yeah. a context switching. Like, it's not even just, yeah. it's not like it's a concentrated 20%. It's like, I'm just doing those requests for 20% of the time. It's like in between all party day. Like, yeah. and as you mentioned yeah. that, mm, I was just recalling the number of times I've had to do that exact same thing. <laughs> and as you mentioned, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, that's so true. Because it just, your day just falls, like, changes yeah. completely. Because yeah. you're like, you need to address that. Because it's so important. Like, especially yeah. when it's something like that. Yeah. And by nature, you want your leaders who are, who are very caring, right? Like of caring of, of the people and, and the issues they're going through. I mean, that's why they're in that position. So when you talked about that, it just brought back a lot of mm-hmm. memories. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's just beautiful to hear the time efficiency save as a result of doing yeah. this. One, one case study I'll share with you, and I've got permission to from, from Megan. So um, Megan Wedderburn, who's one of our longtime consultants at IAG, she has a, um, has a her daughter, Indy, um, has a type of epilepsy that um, is not treatable, and as a result, you know, and and you know, they've tried. They've, her specialist is running the CBD oil trial, so there's not. She's got a very rare type of epilepsy that's not treatable um, through traditional measures. And when she was young, in order to save her life, um, because the seizures were so so um, so bad, so dangerous, they um, actually removed. Um, the majority of the, um, I think it was the left, yeah, the left or right. But I think I'm pretty sure it was the left or right. Anyway, side of her brain actually literally removed her brain. Um, amazing with, you know, the brain is plastic; it adapts in removing a, a more nearly half of her brain. She still managed to kind of um, to live a, a pretty good life up until now, which is um, where the epilepsy has returned, and 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 she's having to look at removing what's left of that side of her brain. Um, and it's an extraordinary, you know, situation that Megan's in and Indy's in and her family are in. Um, and so she's got these specialist appointments that are happening all the time. She, Indy has seizures at school and, and when she has a seizure, then obviously she needs to, Megan needs to attend to, a, to Indy. After a seizure, there's usually a couple of days of where, you know, mum has to take time off work in order to care. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a really is remarkably... Um, you know, heart-breaking situation, but an extraordinary family who are adapting to this situation where what it meant for us as an employer was that Megan was, um, and you know, she, she was she was saying to me, she, I said, how often, you know, so how long, how often are you calling sick? She said, well, at, at its worst, 60% of my, t- of my shifts I call in sick. So she's unable to um, come to work. Now, as an employer, that creates a lot of difficulty because it's very hard to keep, you know, we've got rapidly changing systems, processes, um, products, you know, this training all the time, team meetings and, you know, the coaching is really important and, and it's very difficult for, um, for as an organisation to keep Megan um, in a position where she can really confidently, you know, maintain her knowledge to do the job. Um, and so I've been in other companies, and IAG wasn't at this point, and, and I, to their credit, they were still supporting Megan through this. But I've been in other companies that aren't as humanistic as IAG, who have been in, who employees have been in similar situations where they've literally sat down and said, look, this is not working anymore. 
we get that there's a lot happening in your life um, but you know we we you know this this relationship's not going to you know you're you you need to focus on on whatever and um, and they literally terminate the employment uh, and that, I've seen that happen in call centers over and over again people's lives get chaotic because family members get sick you know and they just can't commit to work for for whatever reason in the way that they normally could um, they had been in the past and the relationship between the employer and employee comes to an end reiterate that wasn't the situation with Megan um, IG was adapting to that as best they could but Megan was struggling you know and feeling feeling bad about the fact that she wasn't able to commit to work um, and she and so when switch came along she's one of the biggest users of switch because her life is chaotic she's always on switch and making changes and she's got an incredible amount of coin accumulated because so she goes on and actually helps helpfully makes changes to her roster in order to accumulate coin because mm. she knows that Indy is going to need her at some point don't know when um, and so that she can then use that coin in order to make a change so you know net net it's good for us and it's good for the it's good for her um, and so as a result she went through a whole month without calling in sick that has not happened you know for for so long um and what really brought it home i sort of asked megan so what does that mean for you you know like the fact that you know to your, to your self-esteem and she said well it means that i don't have to borrow money off my mum to get through the week mm. you know it means that i can i know i'm i'm contributing not just to, to, i'm contributing to my family in a way that is you know feels normal i'm contributing to the workplace in a way that feels normal i just feel normal again mm. Um, and that's that's what it means. Mm. You know, these are the and these stories. Are, that's not Megan. It's an extraordinary situation. And, and I'll, well, I think we should put up the GoFundMe um, on the, if it's possible with yeah, the totally. with this um, because Definitely. Megan and her family at the moment are raising uh, money for a, 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 a seizure alert dog. Um, unfortunately, it's not covered under NDIS. They need to raise about fifty thousand. I think they're three quarters of the way there, mm. but um, still need help. These seizure alert dogs are incredible. Just to sidetrack a little bit, mm. um, that on that they can on average alert me and her family that she's about to have a seizure up to four, around four minutes in advance, and it, and and on usually no less than one minute, no more. So um, so it means that Indy can be aware, can make herself safe, and it means the family can you know obviously be there. How on earth do they do that? It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. so bizarre. Oh, yeah. oh wow, yeah. Wow. That is <laughs> so it's such a it'll be life changing for for Indian and her family. So yeah. they're raising money for that. So yeah, yeah I think it'd be nice to yeah, yeah. spread oh, the word. That's the least that we could do. 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, I one of the things that I, that always pains me is so and contact centers becoming more and more automated. You know, the technology oh, not it's not a new thing. It's been happening forever, but they're they're often seen as you know environments where you know it's all about technology the latest bit of kit for workforce management or yep. you know voice recording or you know speech to text blah 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 all that kind of stuff and you go to the contact center conferences and you know it's, that's what it's all about and i think it's it's the humanistic human side of contact centers is lost um not always but mm-hmm. more often than i think it should be and you mentioned something earlier about they are it's a, it's a human system and it's humans interacting with other humans and it's humans within that system interacting with each other to make it work. And I love how you've used some technology for, for good in, in that way. Um, and I, I suspect, and you have touched on this already, but because you're 
you're giving people the ability to make decisions and use that technology around something like their roster. You're not just solving a rostering problem. Like that must bleed out into many other parts of the, the contact center. Like you're unlocking almost a part of the, the this you know the way people think. Mm. They're now empowered to make decisions about their rosters. Is, are you seeing it? Are you seeing other things happening that you didn't expect before? You, you talked about the example with now they trust strangers more than they did before. That's outside of work. But are you seeing any other things happening within the the contact center? It's that hard you didn't to expect? pinpoint, and I'm I'm probably not close enough to see exactly what's happening operationally I, the 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 employee net promoter score has shifted enormously over the last couple of years and right. um and so there's definitely a cultural impact and it's not just switch it's also the work from home the general shift towards flexibility and a shift towards trust i think is having that effect yeah, yeah. so i think um you know it's hard to pinpoint um, switch being the 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 in fact you know, a certain switch is not the only thing that's impacting culture and behaviour and the way in which we we operate and make decisions together as an organisation. Uh, it's definitely shifted a lot over the last few years, but I think it's flexible working more generally and the embracing of flexible working, um, including work from home, that has had that cultural impact. Mm. Um, it it does, and I think. You know, the other part of the switch journey, which I think has had an impact on the way we do things, is the level of collaboration um, and co-creation that led to it. So the fact that we were engaging people um, early on um, it meant that you know it was it's a different approach where you're sort of seeing you're using we were using the 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 front line as our as our co-designers, co-creators. You know, they were the they were as much part of it as I am. Um, you know, in actually coming up with a solution and and, and creating switch mm. so that's different so that's probably an insight as well so yeah, there's a few things but it's hard to pinpoint exactly yeah. or have examples um, but we can see it in the mm. in the EMPS results mm. the trust stuff is extraordinary I think um, I, I I know there's lots um, you know Rachel Botsman is a really interesting writer worth exploring and following on Twitter if you're interested and trust she's just recently recently published um, a book on trust as a I think as a TED talk that she's done too I think the thing I've learned most around trust with flexible working and is that trust isn't something earned, which is the way in which we normally think of something. It's trust. You need to earn my trust. Um, trust is something given. And that's as simple as that. And how freely and willingly we are willing how freely and willingly we give trust mm. is entirely up to us as the givers of trust we should it's not up to the receiver it's up to us so giving trust more freely more willingly more openly then then you get amazing rewards back mm. um, and I think that's what flexible working has helped surface and help yeah. leaders understand because by nature you're having to trust them more because they're not yeah, you know, visible and the reciprocity as well of trust yeah. being given. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Sorry, I mean, it's like this. This what you've created obviously sounds like the dream for any core center. Like I'm just thinking, if I was still running my own core center, well, you know, I'd be thinking, I need this. Mm. And I don't know how much you can divulge here commercially or whatnot, but 
like is there a next step towards like what's next steps now you from the success because it's obviously I think inevitably successful. yeah there will be and and not and because people are asking yeah absolutely so people yeah. are asking and and um an IAG and is an organization like I said is purpose driven its purpose is to make um the world a safer place this app is a, is its power is is in the number of users it gets, you know, that have get their hands on with it. Mm-hmm. So it's something we'll continue to roll out across at IAG first, but um, and continue to evolve as a product. But it would, personally, I would, I think it'd be nice to see it go out and and to other other call centres. And so, yeah, I, I think inevitably that will happen. I don't know when and what the commercial kind of realities of that will be, but there is a demand, um, and so. Yeah, especially after this podcast gets out there, you know. <laughs> well, look, I hope I hope yeah. loads and loads of people listen to this, and just because <laughs> that story is just amazing, and God, there's just so much in there from a, you know, the, the learning that contacts and leaders can get out of this in terms of that mindset and that approach to trust and anything, all of that stuff. But yeah, but even as a social I, experiment, like yeah. you know, for people to learn about human psychology, like mm. this is a case study on its own right? yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's fascinating yeah where would you recommend a team start if they they, they listen to this and they think oh yeah look I, I'd love to take that leap of faith as well and, and give the trust to my people to self-organise around their rosters but I don't have I haven't got anyone who could build a fancy spreadsheet or let alone an app where would you recommend they, they start oh that's a good question I um I think that looking for ways to increase work flexibility um, in the workplace is just generally where to start. Mm. Um, I don't think that you can organize, you can, to give, I I don't think there's another solution out there at the moment that could enable flexibility around rosters to the way that Switch does. I know that, you know, the existing, the sort of the, the main workforce planning software does have stuff like shift bidding, shift giving. Um, um, shift swaps, shift slides, um, they have, um, you know, quite a bit, in, you know, sort of stuff around that, but they're still approval-based systems. They're just pre-approved, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, they're still tightly controlled and there's not that opportunity for reciprocity, so it doesn't have the same cultural mm-hmm. impact. Um, but there's still stuff in there that I would explore um, if I was in an existing call centre yeah. and just try and try and do the best you can but open up to flexible working. Um, start to exp- and start to experiment. Just do small experiments. Like you know, I, I think that uh, work from home has been a really powerful um, way to open people's minds. Um, you know, so if that's something that a call center is looking at or considering, then I'd encourage them to to explore that. Um, do it. You know. If you need help, get help. Um, do it carefully. Um, do it in a way that you know, um, you know, helps the organisation get on board. Yeah. Um, just yeah, just run some experiments. Experiments mm. are incredibly powerful. Mm. Yeah. There's, they are. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. I'm a bit lost for words, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> That's such an incredible story. So, so good. Keen to hear. Um, yeah, maybe just about your own journey and, and where you're now at 
um, like, are you, you know, are you still working on Switch actively? Is that, yeah. was that done by IAG now and you onto something else? No, and I'm still very, very much involved with Switch okay. and continuing yeah. to evolve the product and, and look at, you know, what the opportunities are for Switch extensively. You asked the question about commercializing it, so mm-hmm. looking at what are the opportunities for Switch, where, where could it go, how do we, my, my motivation at the moment is, is how, to, how do we now take this to um, make it available to others? Um, so working heavily towards that. Um, and you know, I've been exploring more around self-organizing teams and what that you know what that could benefit. And I think that there are other look, a switch is particularly important because it solves the problem around self-organizing around rosters at scale. So large call centers across multiple sites, you know how do you actually enable that those workforces to self-organize? You can't use a social um, you can't use a social agreement to make that happen because, they're not working at the same time, they're not in the same place, and there's just too many people involved, it's too complicated. Whereas smaller call centres, I think there are. And so I'm, I'm really interested to now look at how do we solve this problem for smaller workforces. Um, and I think the solution will exist in similar sort of principles. So how do you enable people to make good decisions with good information? How do you decode the business requirements and present them to people in a way that they can understand? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you then overlay their rosters so they can make those changes and how does that then get supported by social agreements and social platforms in order to facilitate that as opposed to the FlexCoin, mm-hmm. you use social agreements and social platforms. So I think there's, the, the, there is a solution I have in mind around that. So that's sort of the next kind of thing I'm exploring around that. Um, but more broadly, I, I um, am particularly um, also interested in the um, in connection, so human connection and the importance that plays to um, to well-being. So, it's the the and and the role of work as as an institution to serve the the well-being of of individuals and society. So. Being connected and human connections are incredibly important. The Surgeon General in the US, um, not the current one, but previous one, said that isolation is more harmful to health than smoking. Uh, and yet isolation is at, at epidemic proportions um, in the well, where most of the science and research around the impacts of isolation have been done in the US, but I think probably similar here. So it's at epidemic proportions it's higher than it's ever been recorded. The Harvard longitudinal study into well-being, um, which is often quoted, um, which has followed people since the Great Depression, so it's the longest study of human health in history, followed, and we're all men because that's what, there was a bias, there was a gender bias back then, but followed them over, you know, over sort of 80 years, or however long it has been, from memories around that, and more than genetics, they found that the thing that impacts people's health is having meaningful relationships in their life. Mm. So we're learning that the um, that the most that this, this these issues around human connection and, and the opposite isolation is having a massive impact on people's on people's well-being. Um, and there's an interesting kind of role I think that, that I'm that I'm really keen to explore around what the role of work and the institution of work to as a, to be a solution to that. Mm-hmm. So that the, the, one of the best ways to establish meaningful connection with other human beings is to do something with them, to create something together. 
that is, you know, think of men's sheds as, as in what has been has been incredibly successful at addressing this very issue of men who have reached retirement age who are, you know, they're they're they're, they're often single, they're widowed, for example, and they've created these these community sheds where people can go in and create and build things together. Usually, you know, like building a chair or whatever it might be, kids' toys and the like. It's incredibly powerful, this act of doing things together, creating together in order to be, build meaningful relationships. Mm. So why the hell doesn't work deliver that as an outcome? Mm. Why isn't work, the activity, the very activity by definition, mm. which is about creating and doing together, solving this issue of isolation and disconnection, which is at epidemic proportions in our community and doing incredible harm to people's well-being and health. Why the hell isn't it? Isn't that the outcome of actively engaging in work? Something's broken. Mm, yeah. So that's where I feel. Yeah, my sort of passion is obviously being drawn into now. I think you know, there's that, um, and then the other issue I think, which is fundamentally impacting society and feel feel drawn to, is is a misalignment of power. So that's where switch plays. So we're seeing a misalignment of power instead of the person being empowered to manage their own time, mm. their time. Think of it this way, like when I first job and I started in a factory, I clocked on. I went from my, on my time to being on company time or factory time, mm. and I clocked off and I went off factory time and back to my time. That's just nuts. Mm. It's always been my time. And that's, so that's what Switch does. Switch actually shifts that power dynamic away from and gives people back ownership over their time. Mm. So I think this misalignment of power and this increasing issue of disconnection and isolation the way we design workplace systems can and should actually balance those two things and can and should be not only designed around a do no harm principle which is the way our workplaces are generally designed you go to work yeah. you leave work the same as healthy and as happy as you entered um and you um and you earn a fair day's wage for a fair day's work you should leave work happier and healthier not as you were, mm. the activity of engaging in work yeah. should leave you happier and healthier. It should make you feel more connected to other human beings, not more disconnected, which yeah. is often what happens in the workplace. Um, so that's that's where I think the opportunity lies. Um, I think Switch is the first, um, and you know, I've got some great collaborators where we're thinking around what how, how else can we continue to sort of solve for these problems. and. And reimagine and redesign work so that it actually uplifts the well-being of those that participate in work. Wow, I th- that's an absolutely worthy, worthy cause. Um, couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So, on that note, we're almost we're almost at time. Um, I did mention at the start it'd be great for you to you you've just you the show notes for this are going to be as probably as long as the um, the uh, the um, the podcast itself. But we will reference everything that you mentioned in there, so people can go through and, and look it up. Um, but how do you how do you learn about this stuff? Like, what are you doing? What are you reading, watching, listening to? Yeah. Who do you follow on? You know, are there any? You mentioned a couple of people that you. Yeah, um, I think you know, there's there are there is a bit of a groundswell of movement, and particularly around. So one a great place to start would be um, uh, Frederick. Frederick Lalo, I'm sure I'm pronouncing his surname incorrectly, Reinventing Organisations. It's mm-hmm. a really good starting point to sort of start yeah. thinking about reimagining work and work and the design of work. Um, it's 
probably quite challenging for, um, in a way because it really pushes people's um, you know, thinking. Is if you don't can't be bothered reading it, I just look him up on YouTube. There's a great one-hour clip where he's giving a lecture. Just watch that. Don't even bother reading the book. It pretty much gives it'll give you the inspiration you need. Blew my um, mind when I first read that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. got it in the real library behind it. Yeah, it's a great read. It's a great read. Yeah. Um, and he talks a lot about teal organisations. Mm-hmm. He's sort of redefining teal. And Teal actually uh, comes from um, the concept, the and a book in the '90s, which was um, uh, the, uh, this idea of um, spiral dynamics and human evolution, and so you know. Um, so that's a really sort of nice sort of place to go if you're interested in sort of deal, digging into that, and that sort of helps understand human systems, human belief systems, and value systems, and how they express differently into different forms of human organisation. So there's this sort of there is a link mm-hmm. there, I think, it's around what sorts of organized you know what's types of human organization not mean talking about companies but the way we organize ourselves can be expressed depending on the values and beliefs of a particular workforce so that's a really interesting kind of rabbit hole to go down um, there are some other interesting thinkers too so uh, which I really admire so Jeffrey Pfeffer um, who is a professor um, out of think Berkeley in the US he's written a number of books one a couple of years ago called dying for a paycheck um, so that's a really good read. Um, what it really brings home for me, that book is um, that the that if you look at all surveys around um, the causes of stress, it's usually money, relationships, or work. And it, and and depending on the survey, depending on the individual, it's 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 those always those three things at the top and just in a different order. So and it's all too often it's work is the number one cause of stress. Um, and the and the link between stress and chronic disease is indisputable, um, and there's so there's obviously he's he's drawing the, the link between stress work related stress the impact it has on people's well being and the number of lives lost so he actually puts a number on that in the U S and it's a scary number the number of people are dying because of working in stressful working environments dying too soon so that's that's confronting mm-hmm. but it's it's worth a read. Helps bring home the need, the problem, um, uh, and then yeah, if you're interested in um, complexity theory and how that impacts the leadership, um, so David Snowden is the author of you know the Kinevan framework. It's spelled Sinefin, S-Y-N-E-F-I-N. So that's worth checking out if you're interested in, in complexity theory and just as a good starting point. Um, and um, yeah, that'll do for now. Do. <laughs> anyone, anyone you're following on Twitter? You mentioned you're, you've reorganised yeah, your Twitter. Of, yeah, I did a bit of a social media clean out this yeah. year, so I just wanted to get, you know, created a new Twitter profile. Um, so just to, to stop, you know, getting polluted by, you know, polit- politics and other things. Uh, and outrage, you know, outrage is a terrible pollution. Mm. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I'm it's definitely said so some all of those authors. I follow people like Dan Pink, who's a really mm-hmm. you know interesting kind yeah. of um, uh, writer and, and um, sense maker. I'd say yes. he's sort mm-hmm. of extraordinary how he can sort yeah. of take in lots of other research and reframe it into sort of into natural language and uh, a great sense maker. Um, his latest book is called well, one one of his more recent books is called When. That's a really worth a read. Um, so talking about the chronobiology and how we're different different pro- we're programmed physically for doing different types of work at different times a day 
So that's oh. really interesting. Oh, yeah. I heard an interview of him talking about that. But the, yeah. the book that I remember is Drive. Yeah, like that, that yeah, yeah. It's extraordinary. Uh, yep. That's a great book. Yep. Yep. Um, and um, and if you're interested in a podcast on work um, and redesign of work, then Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat um, is without a doubt the kind of the best um, one on out there. I think at the moment you can go through and he interviews people like Dan Pink, um, awesome. you know, as as well as many 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 other really interesting sort of leading edge thinkers in this space. And so um, yeah, it's worth a look. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. What a story. That was brilliant. Time just flew by. It did, yeah. I, yeah, that's that's an hour done. But that was maybe, um, maybe a little longer. That was that was great. Yeah, um, we're, we're going to have all the information on the description. So everyone listening at home can be able to check that out. GoFundMe page, we'll put that. We'll definitely get yep. that up on there. Absolutely. We're going to help. You. Is it Lindy? Uh, Indy. Indy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Indy and uh, Megan is the mum. Megan yep. the mum. So we definitely want to help. Thank you. Them out as well. Yeah, definitely. Bye. Wow, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that. That was more than I expected as well. So Very yeah. privileged. We feel, I, I actually I feel do, very I privileged to actually get to hear the story. And, Same. And it's, it's an honour. Thank you. Same, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a humble little podcast, but I, I genuinely hope we get this out to as many people as possible to listen to yeah. it because that's an awesome thing to hear. And so. I think you'll get more uh, interviews, I think, after this. Yeah, yeah. After people hear I, this. I genuinely hope lots of people <laughs> listen to it, but I, I apologise in advance for all the interest you might get from people <laughs> yeah. asking you about this app. So. Yeah, do you tweet as well? Like, are you actively... Yeah, so my um, my um, uh, personal business is One Mantra um, and so where I you know, do done some consulting around flexible work and I have a tweet a Twitter profile, One Mantra. But I don't use it all that much. Probably LinkedIn is the best way to stay in, to stay connected and follow, you know, um, what I'm up to. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much for your interest. No worries at all. Thanks. Good one. Well, there you have it. What a great solution and what an inspirational person Tim Buzzer is. We really hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. And if you would like to reinvent your contact center or explore how you could bring self-organizing teams to life, get in touch with us via our website at www.theagilecontactcenter.com.au where you'll also find the show notes to everything you heard on the podcast today with all the links uh, so you can go down some of those uh, really interesting rabbit holes. Again, thank you so much for listening. And bye for now.